Hello, everybody. We're back. We are back. Ah, oh, turn this up in my headphones, Charles. I think you gotta do that. You want me to turn it up in your headphones? Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? Turn it down? You gotta turn it up. <laughs> All right, if you insist, man. It's unusual, but <laughs> if you insist. I love when the howl goes. Yeah, that's how we know we're milking it. <laughs> oh my god, we've gotten deep. <laughs> well, the track's about to end, so I'm gonna just go ahead and fade it Run out. It one more time. <laughs> no. Uh, welcome everybody to another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. That's us. I'm That's the face us. of the podcast, <laughs> Dylan. And yeah, um, one of the voices of the podcast. One of the voices. Me. Oh, I was gonna say I'm one of the voices, but I'm the only face. <laughs> well, you had a thing. I wanted to have a thing, but. That's all I could think of. <laughs> that you'd be one of the one of the voices. Yes. We'll we'll think of a thing for you. Okay. You're the behind the scenes guy, Charles. I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's true, but so do you. I mean, you're the you're the voice of everything outside the podcast. You're the tone of the show. You're the you're the um you're like the PR, the social media. I am the social media guy. Yeah. If you couldn't tell from the <laughs> from day one. <laughs> Is it the fact that maybe 60 to 70% of the social media posts take some sort of shot at you, Charles? <laughs> some of them try to, but you know what? Some of the fans had my back on, on some of those discussions. But yeah, yeah no, definitely um, the tone you take against me, I've noticed. <laughs> But you know what? I'm fine with it. And look at us now. Crushing it on the gram. Yeah, the gram does tend to be... I mean, who knows? This is a bank episode, Charles. So That's true. I feel like yeah. And by, by the... crushing it, I meant we're getting, like at this point, 14 likes on a, on a post, which is absolutely crushing it for us right now. Uh, but yeah, the, the Dylan's right. Just to let everyone at home know, this is going to be a episode that we are banking for future use. So it's a little bit of a time capsule for you guys. Yeah, just just a moment the, captured. <laughs> the, the, the second Mistborn book, Wells of Ascension, just dropped today, and we are recording um, this banked episode. For sure. So we've only released four episodes at this point. By the time you That's hear right. this, when I, I figure Charles and I are on a beach somewhere in a <laughs> post-pandemic <laughs> paradise. Yeah, we're taking a week off doing something. Slacking off. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> Just couldn't be bothered Charles to record for together. some reason. Not sure what's going on. <laughs> I think we've just grown complacent with how successful the show has probably grown by that. Yeah, point. you know what? Like following all these famous fantasy authors, when you when you peak or right before you peak, you just stop 
releasing stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> right before you peak? <laughs> well, I guess in this, these authors' cases, they have peaked, but the show hasn't finished yet. So right when you peak, you don't release any more stuff. It's just crazy. Because uh, there's nowhere awesome. else to go but down after that. And the FTF podcast only goes up. Like That's right. It goes like up. Like the music in my start. headphones. You're not going to turn that <laughs> down. Exactly right. Well, yeah. I mean, the way the the way we kind of conceived the show was we were like, okay, if we can commit to a schedule and actually finish a series, then we can actually invest in releasing them and promoting them and making a real thing out of it. So before we even dropped episode one, we had recorded about, man, like two week, two months worth of content at and yeah. we were like, I mean, nope, now we episodes? have a problem where we're trying to do social six media six, six weeks. But, oh, yeah. Well, with the bonus, probably like eight episodes, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah, I forget when we finally released, but I guess Mistborn Book 3 was our sixth episode and then the bonus episode. So it was eight episodes. Uh, so it's been kind of confusing trying to promote these episodes that we recorded what feels like a lifetime ago which six weeks ago so an attempt to kind of close the gap on our release schedule we're we're not stopping recording but we're not going to be releasing these so we're we're banking them for the future so hello future (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean thanks for sticking around what's going on who knows what's going on in the world but just because we're banking the episode doesn't mean that the content is going to be any less exciting don't Uh, think that for a moment (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna make any promises (laughs) (laughs) make a few promises man we're professionals here we got a show to do and the show must go on and today we're talking about uh continuing our recommendation series which we only have recorded once so far our pilot episode which was our gateway recommendations and now today if you couldn't tell from the title we're going to be talking about our underrated series recommendations so today we're going to be talking about several books that we would recommend you to read that we would consider highly underrated true charles and i am excited because so we each have three picked and we're gonna kind of do a little exchange a little back and forth it's gonna be fun it's gonna be exciting dylan's excited i'm excited can you tell (laughs) we we just can't wait to get started (laughs) (laughs) look these are her books and series that have not gotten their due So they need the huge bump that I can only assume the FDF podcast can now provide at this point in the future. Yeah, if we're doing our jobs correctly, we are now huge fantasy media influencers. And we're going to give these books that we love a much-deserved bump. So Yeah. Send us an email at theftfpodcast at gmail.com to let us know if we are huge fantasy influencers in the future. That's how this works, yeah. right, Charles? Like, we could receive an email tomorrow that will let us know that we're, we, get, we make it big. Right. They could be filling us in. If they send us an email when this comes out, 
and we get it, it will be, you know, from content that we recorded who knows how many weeks in the past. Or months or years. Who's to say? Maybe Decades. we just never take a vacation and this is like a little time capsule that we that just gets unearthed someday by future civilizations. <laughs> the- I feel like those future civilizations are going to be pretty disappointed if this is what they have to go on. Yeah, they're really desperate for content in the far future. <laughs> they're like, at the top of the show, one of the hosts didn't even seem particularly <laughs> convinced it was going to be good. <laughs> the other one was mostly bragging about their marketing degree. <laughs> And I'm delegating social media to you. <laughs> That's what a true marketing professional does. Yeah. You put the psychology guy in charge of And you know media. what? We're doing great. So, Got a big like today from Nicholas Eames, the author of Kings of the Wild. Yeah. And didn't you also get a nice follow the other day? Yeah. Well, uh. I think that's a great segue into my first underrated book recommendation. Well, you know what? Why don't you just get started then, Dylan? Let's hear your first series. All right. Well, my first series is The Chathryn Voyage Quartet by ah. one Robert V.S. Reddick, beginning with The Red Wolf Conspiracy. And ah. the... <laughs> The great Robert V.S. Reddick is now a follower of the FDF podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Our first author follow. Very exciting. Yeah. Big fan. I've never read his works, but I'm looking forward to reading them in the future. Which, hey, maybe I've read them by now. Who knows? <laughs> you, yeah, maybe you have. So he's <laughs> he's picked up a little more steam recently for Master Assassins, which is a novel he release i i see get getting more attention on things like art fantasy and whatnot than the chathern voyage series does but the chathern voyage series i i mentioned it in episode one not necessarily as a gateway recommendation but actually as one of the things that did serve as a gateway for me personally so this was one of the first books that I picked up after getting into fantasy first through the Game of Thrones show, then reading Game of Thrones uh, or Song of Ice and Fire books. And then I picked up the Chathryn Voyage Quartet because some site told me (laughs) that people who like Game of Thrones would like this. And it's, uh, yeah, it holds a very special place in my heart because I, I really enjoyed it and I feel like if I didn't really enjoy it, then who knows? Who knows if I'm as interested in fantasy? Uh, maybe I would have thought I was just someone who liked Game of Thrones. Now, do you do you find that statement to be true? Would Game of Thrones fans enjoy Chathlin Voyage series? I think so. Well, I'll. It's uh, I'll I'll do my little. Let me give a summary of it. <laughs> I can I can talk some about what. Get people into might it, like man. And Let's hear it. So what Game of Thrones fans might like about it. So I'll start with, it's uh, it's about the IMS Chathryn, which is basically a giant ship, like a giant 
600-year-old ship, I think it is. And it's making a voyage to bring this nobleman's daughter, she's a teenager, I believe, at the time, named Thasha, across the sea to seal a peace between these two long warring nations. And okay. yeah. So it's it's more complex than that. There's a lot of it's a, the first book's called The Red Wolf Conspiracy. So, you know, there's some sort of machinations going on and politicking behind the scenes on the ship, which is what I think was why it got the recommendation from this site. Best oh, that's fantasy a, books best or whatever fantasy it's bo- Yeah, basically if you Google best fantasy books, which is <laughs> what Charles and I started doing. I have a feeling that website's going to be mentioned a couple times today. <laughs> so we'll just call it bestfantasybooks.com. I'm sure. sure. Shout out to bestfantasybooks.com. And it is bestfantasybooks.com. Uh, what what I remember of this series, so it's been a long time for me now since I've read this series because it was one of the gateways for me. So what I remember of the series is that it's really full of adventure. You're basically on this ship for a lot of it, and there's also stops along the way. So you get to see this really fully realized world. And I remember there being a lot of really memorable characters, characters I definitely after all this time think back to at times and uh, have really stuck with me i feel like the the thing that you're gonna get from this series is a lot of that like you've really set out to see this world on the ship and (laughs) the people that you spend time with you get to see really grow during the series. I remember there's a point that always sticks with me in maybe the fourth book out of four in this where I just stopped and and many of the characters are teenagers at least when it starts and I think throughout and it's I just remember stopping and thinking that I felt like the characters had grown up before my eyes. (laughs) That's awesome. I think that's that's something I haven't really felt with a series since like at least that level of it i don't know what i would think like of maybe magicians because they do get true it's, they do age quite a bit but they don't change too much <laughs> yeah that's kind of the thing is like i feel like you get to see them at maybe because it starts a little earlier than the magicians does in terms of age so, uh, so the... maybe they're I don't want to say it wrong, but they're probably in their mid-teens, a lot of the main characters at the start. We don't need to get into another age debate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Charles. Those pick up with uh, (laughs) our fans. Our fans love the age controversies. But (laughs) I I think that... So I've read stuff. I feel like I have a lot of really fond memories of this series. It was before maybe I was as critical a reader as I am now, which is probably... I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways where you're, when you're not looking at with the same experienced or critical eye, you get the chance to be more engrossed in something. And I felt extremely engrossed. I just remember the pages turning so quick and I so enjoyed just living with these characters on this adventure and seeing them 
deal with everything that they're confronted with together. It's got a little bit of a found family feeling to it. And I, I, I've read some stuff in terms of reviews that say that there's some first novel, so debut novels, Robert V.S. Reddick's debut novel, The Red Wolf Conspiracy, uh, issues like pacing stuff and whatnot, um, some plot devices that people weren't happy with. Uh, but when I think back to the series, that's not the stuff that comes up for me. What comes up is how much I enjoyed spending time with the characters on that adventure, seeing them grow up. And I'll say the ending to this whole series, the quartet, was just one of the most poignant endings that I have ever experienced. And the the author himself, and and you know, I've had uh, some (laughs) Twitter exchanges. They've had some dialogue. We've had, yeah, we DM, not not a ton, but I did DM him to just let him know how much I appreciated his work. And and he got back to me and he was super kind. So that's another reason I want to be able to give him this platform if we can, because he's just super nice dude. And uh, yeah, I... He's he said himself that the ending is very very divisive, but I was on the side of like, wow, this is <laughs> that's how you know it's uh, good though. You went when you for can it, yeah. Start a discussion for sure. He's he went for it with the ending, and I thought it was really good. Wow. So yeah, that's I, high praise. No, I mean you've been preaching this series for a long time, and it's high up on my list of things I would like to read, especially now that. Um, you know, Robbie is a fan of the show. So. I don't know if he goes by Robbie. <laughs> but, um, and the, the the setting of a giant ship also in fantasy is is unique and interesting. It's different. Yeah, so, and you know, four books, it seems pretty digestible. And, I mean, if you can say the ending was poignant, I mean, come on. Sometimes I feel like, the ending is so critical for these massive series. Like if it doesn't go anywhere that deflates the experience for so sure. much. So to end strong is a huge selling point. So that's awesome, man. That's the second time you brought it up in the show. And I'm one of these days, hopefully by now I've read it already. Who knows wherever we are in the future. Um, Let's hope, but you, you've sold me on it already. Awesome. Uh, so, Let's get into my first recommendation. So this book kind of originates for me kind of around the period in my life in in terms of my reading experience that like Chathryn Voyage emerged for you. You know, Game of Thrones came out and I had read those and I was looking for more. And this was kind of like my next book, pretty much. And I was actually at your place when you were living in Florida. Um when I first cracked the cover on this before <gasps> we went, yeah, we were wow. in your place and that's where I had downloaded it on my Kindle was in your, in your place in Florida. So nice. Uh, yeah. But this might've been like that time you came while I was still a student in New Orleans and you came like to my apartment, like for Mardi Gras or something, I think. Oh, was wow. this time. Remember we almost missed the plane. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> were you talking to, like the 
in my head it's the pilot, but it was probably just one of the flight attendants. No, it was definitely the attendant that like beats your ticket at the gate. <laughs> like just trying to be like, my friend is coming. So, what? Something happened where I got Dude, held we got up to, and you were able no, to No, what go, happened was right? we got to the airport and there was a line like down to like where you're the terminals were like the security line went impossibly long and we just weren't gonna make it and it got to this thing where it's like dude you have classes to get to um so you kind of like pushed me ahead of the crowd and then you came following <laughs> afterwards but um how noble yeah dude I'm, i just remember I'm like samwise man <laughs> yeah so i, <laughs> Your was, I mean we, just forging I ahead we with the ring. gonna miss the flight so um I booked it and tried to stall for you, and then uh, I stalled as long as I could, but they had me go in and sit down, and then I saw you, like, swoop in, like, as the door closed uh, on the plane. So that was that mo- That was that time. Uh, I was looking I carried just- you the rest of the way, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You um, definitely <laughs> did that for me. You, you kind of... You were definitely the unsung hero of that story, so... <laughs> yep very noble of you uh so anyway that's the setting and i was just looking for a nice rock solid i was specifically looking for a standalone book and of course i went to our one of our favorite sites uh, bestfantasybooks.com and they have a list for standalones and um you know I was, there was a bunch of the classics like tigana and lines of our son and like you know those but the one that stuck out to me just from the title alone is called Heroes Die by Matthew Stover. And I was like, what a great title for a book. And then I was reading the description and it was described as this kind of action packed story. And so I was like, I'll give it a try. And it's technically book one of like a trilogy called The Axe of Cain, but uh, you can read this as a standalone and it was written as a standalone and then the other two books were written pretty I don't know when they were published afterwards but they were kind of like inspired by the original but I have a quote here from the author describing the book he says uh, it's a piece of violent entertainment that's a meditation on violent entertainment as a concept in itself as a cultural obsession it's a love story romantic love paternal love repressed homoerotic love, love of money, of power, of country, love betrayed and employed as both carrot and stick. It's about all different kinds of heroes and all the different ways they die. So it's uh, pretty intense the way he describes it, but it's definitely a story about violence. And what makes it interesting is the way it works is it takes place in like a sci-fi setting like in the near future of our society but instead of like gladiators they have actors that put on like vr headsets and get teleported to an alternate dimension that is like a stereotypical fantasy like tolkien high fantasy world Mm -hmm. and they're like and then so people in the sci-fi world are watching on tv these performers go on quests and missions in this fantasy world and so that's the story uh what sold it for me was the main character his name is kane and I mean, this story, the way he makes these decisions in his fights, like, it's very, very violent. Like, he's he's constantly fighting, and it's the way the violence is depicted is very gritty and real. 
And because, I mean, the whole idea is also how people consume violence. So by adding that sci-fi element, there's like another layer of there's like an audience watching and then we're reading it on top of that. So it was a really interesting kind of depiction. Uh, it was multiple. It was violence in many different ways, you know, like kind of like how you have, you go to a fancy restaurant and it's like we've prepared beets three ways. You, the puree and the soup and the and the sorbet it's like this is violence prepared in like a bunch of different ways you know you have like actually Kane beating the crap out of somebody and then you have people like watching it on tv i mean it's just a really fun poignant piece of work Kane is great I, I always remember it's been so many years since i've read it but one of the things i always remembered was how unique the fighting style of Kane was he's the kind of person like he would I remember he would kind of like he would attack people mid sentence. He's like, that's the best time to like try and kill them while they're doing a dialogue because you wouldn't get a better chance. So in, in the story, you'll be reading and all of a sudden it's like cut short because Kane attacks them. And sometimes Kane's in a fight or in a situation where he's like, OK, there's really only a couple options I have. And like this one, like my leg will break. And this one, I'll die. So I'll do this and break my leg. And he, like, makes that conscious choice. So, I mean, he gets put through the ringer. He gets real beat up. But it was a really interesting um, way to describe action. So when I think of Heroes Die, like, I would recommend it if someone was like, I love fantasy, but I really just want, like, a popcorn action kind of experience. Like, look, if you're open to some violent, satisfying action... I'd recommend Heroes Die over any series just because of how fun and fast-paced it was. And honestly, if I had to pick a series to adapt for like a 10-episode HBO miniseries, uh, Heroes Die would be like one of my top choices. It's because it's fun, it's poignant, and it's quick. So it's like, would make for a great, a great series of episodes. But to have it wrapped up, I do remember the ending also being rather satisfying there's like one final sword fight scene that i really enjoyed and just the way it ended it was um both kind of poetic and also exciting so as yeah heroes die matthew stover highly recommend great action set pieces throughout the whole story i feel like it could make a good movie i feel like the plot is tight enough where you wouldn't even necessarily a miniseries would be good but i feel like if they're looking for a movie it could probably It could make for a good movie, too. I mean, you see a lot of those kind of like future, like sci-fi gladiator movies, but I think this one would have an interesting fantasy twist to it. It could easily be a movie, you know? So I I I thought it was I mean, he's an action hero taken right out of any of, you know, insert your favorite action hero here. Right, but what's interesting about him is he's kind of bathed in a little more of a realism in the terms of violence like he's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger where he like he's this huge guy that just kills like a hundred people and then it's like hasta la vista baby he's actually like getting stabbed and like getting hit with arrows and breaking his leg and he's like okay I have to do this it's gonna hurt but it's the only way I'm gonna get out of this you know he doesn't come out of it unscathed and drops cool one-liners like he does well, there's the occasional one-liner, if I'm remembering the book correctly. Uh, the book is very charged with all kinds of fun little quips and quotes. Um, but it's uh, it's still like the violence. It, it would be like if you took an 80s action movie, but then also made it more realistic. Like there's no way he could 
be shot at by a hundred people with machine guns and not catch a bullet. You know, the same thing with kind of this action story. It's like there's no way he could take on like try and escape from a prison without taking some damage, you know. So the author does a really good job of having realistic stakes and consequences and all the action pieces, which for sure a lot of times in fantasy the stakes and some of the action pieces aren't quite the same and they're taken a little bit to a little bit more of a high fantasy epic kind of nature but this is very grounded in the gritty reality it's almost like the revenant of <laughs> of action where it's like if you saw that movie where it was just like a really intense focused realistic kind of violence and Leonardo DiCaprio just writhing around in the snow is kind of that in that he in his action pieces well, I'd say if there was a movie on this, there'd be a really interesting meta aspect to it regarding it'd be a very violent movie and we'd be it'd probably be attracting a lot of fans looking for that. But the the theme of the whole thing is cultural is obsession. In this idea of the cultural obsession with violence. Whereas the story has people who get to watch Kane, who is an action hero in their world. Uh, right. <laughs> and I, if I'm remembering correctly, and I know it's been a while for both of us, so uh, uh, could be off here, but they get to basically live as Kane while he's doing all this. Like they strap on whatever the yes. tech is, and yes, they get they to have the not VR just headsets. watch Kane they get to be Kane while he's doing it and not like control him per se, but experience it like they From were his him point of view. Yeah, exactly. So I think there'd be <laughs> in some ways, if they delivered the movie, right, there'd be this interesting aspect where we, as the viewers by the end of it, like enjoyed the experience and this awesome action movie, but also feel a little bit like we're the people who strapped on. <laughs> we're part of the problem. Kind we're part of, of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like the demand for violence, perpetuating violence and, and like violence created by the kind of the bloodthirsty nature of a crowd, which is a theme and all kinds of stuff. So like, and gladiator you know when the crowd is being like kill him kill him kill him and it's like well uh-huh. <laughs> killing people's not a great thing to do <laughs> so <laughs> no it's, it's an interesting piece and i think if anyone was going to adapt it they'd have to have like for it to be super successful to have that subtlety and that restraint to kind of put in those moments would make it a very poignant piece of a film i think it's ripe think, for the picking i think so too I'm surprised it hasn't been picked up yet the way like a bunch of series have been getting bought up. And I think because it's underrated, man. It, exactly. No one knows about it. People got to read it. it. back. I wonder how that... much the film options cost. <laughs> Can I afford it? Probably not. Oh, yeah. Well, now that we're in the future and the FDF podcast is obviously just a behemoth of <laughs> an it's basically an industry onto itself. <laughs> That's right. It's become right? now a, media, a fantasy media conglomerate, I'm right? sure. We could probably, I mean, as long as the board doesn't kick us out, which <laughs> at this point, who knows, given yeah. it's gotten so so big. Yeah. I, <laughs> it might have moved on past us. Yeah, we but didn't that test being well said, or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that being said, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's probably something that we should look into buying uh, as 
the FDF podcast. For sure. I think it would be a good investment, you know? Get into film. Why not? Why not? Well, <laughs> if uh, you're feeling good on Heroes Die, oh, more than good, b- yes. gets the thumbs up from both of us, then I'll go to my next recommendation, which is A Natural History of Dragons by Marie Brennan. Hmm. I've even heard of it. It's, uh, well, then I'm doing okay with my underrated fantasy picks because this is actually the one of my three picks that has received the most reviews uh, or ratings on Goodreads when I, I looked them up to try to get an idea if I felt they qualified as underrated. I see this brought up every once in a while, and I I read it as part of the Our Fantasy Bingo last year, or at least last year from when we're recording this. Who knows <laughs> when it is, when we're actually releasing this. Right. But because that bingo requires you to only read one book or one author per square, I couldn't keep going with the series at that time and I moved on to something else. So I've only read the one book, but it's part of the, uh, it's part of a larger series that has five books and has been completed at this point. So it's, uh, it's basically told as a memoir in retrospect by the world's preeminent dragon naturalist which is Lady Trent. And it tells the story of a budding academic that's growing up in a Victorian era type society, but it just so happens in this society, dragons are real in the world. And they're something that they're not treated with the same level of mysticism that we usually see dragons treated with in the world of fantasy. They're treated as something that, you know, you could study, like an academic could go out there and learn about. And Marie Brennan is actually a a former anthropologist herself. And as you know, I'm sure everyone knows by this point, given how much I've talked about it, <laughs> that I am pursuing my PhD in counseling psychology yeah, right yeah, now. We all know about your precious <laughs> PhD. <laughs> Maybe you have it by now. My you know? precious, yeah, <laughs> I doubt. <laughs> I doubt we're that far in the future, but <laughs> I am pursuing it. And I, it really resonated with me as an academic. And I felt like Marie Brennan as a, a former academic herself definitely gets down the aspect of intellectual curiosity that would charge someone to become the world's preeminent dragon naturalist. And Mm. it's, yeah, it's got some really, it's very different from anything else that I've read. Like to take on this idea of this woman who uh, gets to the point where she sets off on this expedition to, study dragons and you can see that the way that she writes the expedition is very much informed by Brennan's expertise in anthropology and it's just full of adventure and thirst for knowledge and uh, it's got a fun voice to it because it's 
I I don't want to compare it to King Killer Chronicle because they're so, they're very 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 different books in just about every way, except for the fact that it's told as this person who you know has gone on to achieve really great things, and they're kind of being like, look, this is my story. This is how I got there. Uh, and trying to present it as a warts and all type telling of that. And I think Marie Bren just captures the, the voice of Lady Trent really well. The, the narrative just, it, it does feel like you're being told a story by this <laughs> academic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a, a ton more to say on it. It's at least the first book is, uh, it's pretty tight it's not particularly long it's really well done and it'll give you a different look at dragons than really anything that i've read before so in what circumstance would you recommend this to a person what would they have to like for you to say definitely great check question this out. charles i would say first of all any academic <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, if you're an academic who likes fantasy, I'm sure there's a pretty large overlap in <laughs> that Venn diagram, right? It's right. Uh, I think I think you'll appreciate it if you're if you're an academic, first of all. But okay. I I know there's a lot of people who are not academics who would really enjoy it too. I think if you enjoy books that have this uh, almost uh, exploration of a different culture which she definitely does well obviously she's got that anthropology background uh so that that's in the background of this and if you are kind of at this point where you've read enough of these like medieval fantasy settings and you're like oh victorian sounds different and interesting then Mm. it's worthwhile to check it out for that and if you if you've enjoyed some of those aspects of being told a story from someone who's accomplished a lot and is looking back on it, like you might find in King Killer Chronicles or Blood Song or something like that, then this could meet those needs for you. All right. Yeah. Oh, it sounds excellent. And it's interesting that you bring up like someone looking for a change of, of setting in fantasy where you're talking about Victorian, because my next series actually uh, is very similar in that it's beautiful, beautiful transition. Charles. It's a great fantasy series. If you're looking for a change of setting and instead of the Victorian era setting, this one, it takes place in like a folklore kind of China setting where it just kind of picks on different ages of china like the best of all of them from like a storyteller's perspective and kind of mashes them together in this like fake chinese mythology and culture and this series that i'm recommending is called the chronicles of master lee and number 10 ox by barry hugart um the series starts with uh, it starts with <laughs> Bridge of Birds. I can't say series anywhere near I know. my phone. I, <laughs> That's so amazing that your phone reacts when you say series. <laughs> I should just turn it off, but I never turn my phone off. I don't know why. But... I mean, I say series all the time, and Siri is enabled on my phone too, but it never reacts to it. I don't know why it's so annoying. reacts to it. <laughs> and it doesn't do it all it's the so time. Funny. Like It's bizarre. 
So it's an older phone. Who knows? But anyway, it starts with a book called Bridge of Birds, which can be read as a standalone. But I have read there's three books and I've and I have read all three of them. Um, uh, so it's best fantasy books describes it as probably the best book you've never read. Uh, it's a rare. Oh, that's great for underrated. Series yeah. Here. So, yeah. I mean, I would think so, too, because I'm the only one I know that's ever read it. You know, I talk to a lot of, you know, try and find common ground with other fantasy fans that are my friends. And I'm the only one that's read it. So, in my opinion, underrated. And Best Fantasy Books backs me up. It has this really rare writing style mix of this, like, Chinese folklore and epic fantasy. And then it has humor throughout it that i would equate to almost like an anime style of humor where it's very character based it's very like kind of sticks out from the seriousness of the like the plot so it is like a really interesting really funny charming story it it stars um number 10 ox who is kind of this gentle giant villager he's the main protagonist he's the pov character and then Master Lee, who's a drunken scholar with a self-described uh, slight flaw in his character. I put quote marks up for that. And the two of them become this like duo. So Master Lee's kind of the brains, and Number Ten Ox is kind of like the brawn. But I mean, there's a little more to it than that. But that's kind of their dynamic. And together they go on journeys and adventures. And in Bridge of Birds, the first book, uh, their journey is to cure the children of their village that from this strange poison where all the children got the same poison. They're basically in like a coma. They're like frozen like statues and they go off to find the cure. I mean, it's, it's a charming read. It's full of um, Chinese myths and tropes and it's basically written. I think the guy's American. So it's basically like a love letter to, to Chinese legend. So it's a light read. It's fun. Um, it's very much more on the high fantasy side of things is not much that's gritty or real about it it has no rogue characters it's it's played very straight i'm out (laughs) (laughs) but it is funny and it's charming and it's quick so i would recommend it to anyone that's interested just in asian culture looking for a good fantasy book or anyone who's looking for something a little more lighthearted and fun it's it's a great read for that um i did a little deep dive on wikipedia to find out like what happened with these books because they have really positive user reviews but it's like faded into obscurity and i found out that it actually went through several like publication issues um so the publishers had no idea what to do with it because it's like this chinese fantasy it wasn't like sci-fi fantasy and like the publishers like the the author complained about the publishers all the time he said they didn't even notify him when bridge of birds the first book won an award like he never even found out he had to like read it in the news you know so he was already upset when the second book came out which is called story of stone it was published three months ahead of schedule so that no purchasable purchasable copies were available by the time the scheduled reviews finally appeared so it's like the book came out so weird three months early and then the reviews dropped afterwards and that the like the supply wasn't there so it was very bizarre and then it gets even stranger the the paperback edition of the third book which is called eight skilled gentlemen was published simultaneously with the hardback edition so they released the hardcover and the paperback at the same time 
which you never see. So obviously, Who's the publisher for this. Do you have? That? I have no idea. So obviously, the books didn't sell because you're supposed to only release the hardcover, which are the money makers, and then you follow up with the paperbacks. And in this case, it was uh, not lucrative because of uh, that lapse in judgment of releasing both at the same time. Really unusual. So basically, the author was kind of jaded by the whole experience and kind of walked away from it but they are really charming stories and I've I've always been interested in Asian folklore so there's only a few other books like that um Under Heaven is a is a great like Asian themed book but that one is like on a lot of top 10 lists and stuff so or like top 50 lists that's Sky um, Gabriel K yes and that takes place in like a pseudo China setting and guy is really good at creating setting too so it's a lot of fun but this book is much more lighthearted and and shorter and faster it kind of reads more like a chinese folklore story than anything else and i do appreciate the humor in it as well so um but those are really some of the only books i've ever read that had that strong presence of setting in the world of modern fantasy <laughs> publications so that's how i'd recommend it it's a fun read not too demanding and uh yeah just a good time that's that's an interesting backstory to how these books ended up in a place where they fit in our underrated fantasy series recommendations isn't it interesting like their own publisher tanked it (laughs) (laughs) it sucks yeah i mean it won awards and stuff it just couldn't sell because the publishers couldn't get the timing of the release right for multiple books and the user reviews are always super high yeah well it's also very interesting an almost interesting case study of just how it can be hard to find a market for some i I mean even if you write an award-winning book your career isn't guaranteed (laughs) well it (laughs) Yeah, it does say a little bit about how, hey, yeah, you can write an incredible book, but if if it's not clear where to place it and the on the bookshelves, and right, it's, yeah, it's not if the team behind you is that, not competent, like that you, too. So if you like good books that didn't get their due, which is what this underrated series is episodes all about. Check it out. Chronicles of Master Lee and Number 10 Ox by Barry Hugart. I mean, Number 10 Ox is a great name for a character. That is a great name for a character. It does sound I forget like how funny. he got that name, but there is, they do talk about it. it are there numbers one? I don't, I don't I remember. Well, <laughs> I'm don't sorry remember. to ask you a deep cut question. <laughs> Dude, I just said. I'm trying to tell you I don't remember, and here you are. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I know. That's my bad. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, right before I'll, we recorded I this, know, he was like, dude, don't let... put, don't rake me over the coals with these, all right? Just keep it light. And now he's, <laughs> he's asking me if there's nine oxes. It. I'm like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> no, I... So yeah, to, to let people behind the curtain before this, I was like, dude, it's been a while since I've read a lot of these books. Uh, I tried to do my research beforehand, but it's like, yeah, don't ask any deep cut questions. Uh, <laughs> and then I come in hot 
with asking if there's uh, what was it number one through nine ox I'm sorry I don't remember I do remember he does explain it and it's in some kooky you know funny abstract way but no it's good if if that seems like a fun quaint idea to you and you're interested in more then definitely read the books but if you're like that sounds stupid (laughs) then you know what may not be for you all right well i'm i'll take it to the next one which also is a series that or not series a single book a standalone that takes us somewhere other than our typical medieval europe type fantasy setting and Charles, I'm wondering if you've heard of a book called Fever Dream. Um, it sounds like a pretty generic title. I haven't heard of it, though. It doesn't ring any bells. Gotcha. Have you heard of an author named George R. R. Martin? I have heard of him. I'm okay. familiar with his work. Yeah. He, he wrote a little series called A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> but <laughs> I, And I don't, and I say that literally, Charles, I, you know, I, uh, uh, I didn't mean to put you too much on the spot. I did that to illustrate that lots of really big fantasy fans like don't know anything by George outside of the Song of Ice and Fire universe, including really myself until recently. Um, there's so Fever Dream by George R. R. Martin. It has uh, only. 21,644 ratings on Goodreads. That's less than uh, Natural History of Dragons has. And it compares to 1,950,000 uh, ratings that uh, just uh, A Game of Thrones, the first book of A Song of Ice and Fire, has uh, on Goodreads. So this is a series that came out. Or sorry, I keep saying series. It's a standalone that came out like before George R. R. Martin ever wrote Song of Ice and Fire when George R. R. Martin was just kind of a... Right, he spent I see it came as, out in 1982, I see. Mm-hmm. So he spent a while as almost like a mid, what they called mid-list authors. So people who, you know, they have a following, people read their stuff, but no one's expecting them to drop anything that would enter the New York Times bestsellers list or anything like that. And this is a book that came out while George was in that state and it's just never really picked up. Uh, and uh, this pun was not intended and it'll be clear why it's a pun Larry. It's never picked up steam. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a series, a series It's a novel that is a great demonstration of George's ability to tell a complete strong story i think wow something i haven't experienced yet something that i would guess a lot of our listeners have not experienced basically the only context i ever see it brought up in is people will say almost like a trivia fact like did you know that george r R. martin wrote a vampire novel in the 80s that's the <laughs> he was before his time with the vampire novels i know and it was a different take on vampires that wasn't like a dracula type thing like right a little more uh potential for that like young sexy vampire thing <laughs> not that george leans all the way in. it's not twilight here but it's definitely not dracula <laughs> That'd be awesome. 
<laughs> it would be awesome. <laughs> so this series is, uh, I, I <laughs> basically the series takes place in a pre-civil war era. So like a pre-civil war antebellum South type setting. And where we meet our main character, Abner Marsh. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Right. We find out basically what this guy wants more than anything is in the world. And this, I, I love this as, you know, we had our character, our protagonist conversation. I love when they're just super motivated to get like one thing. And Abner Marsh wants more than anything in the world to captain the most magnificent and fastest steamboat on the Mississippi River. And <laughs> there's why that steam thing was, was a pun. But <laughs> I, he, I caught that at the beginning there. Yeah. Pick up steam. So, I yeah. <laughs> so the, this guy is kind of, I almost want to compare him to Ned Stark, though he's not anything like you put those two guys next to each other they wouldn't seem at all like similar people but they both have this uh, like a lot of honor abner marsh in a very different <laughs> way but he's just like this honest straightforward guy who all he wants is to captain a really really fast awesome steamboat <laughs> and he gets the chance to <laughs> to have this dream realized when he meets some a gentleman named Joshua York, who basically seems like real cryptic in the way that he's presenting uh, this opportunity. But it's it's basically like, hey, if you don't ask me any questions, I will fund us building this awesome ship, and you'll captain it because you are this. Like uh, you have this honest, straightforward reputation, and I, I believe see, that I you won't ask any questions if you say you won't. And Abner agrees to this, which <laughs> gets him embroiled in a world of vampires, which <laughs> exists unbeknownst to and parallel mainstream society in this pre-Civil War antebellum South setting. Wow! And <laughs> yeah, it's very—it's not like anything that I've ever read before and I have a hard time imagining it's like anything that is really out there. It's vampires and steamboats. So <laughs> that also sounds like a great premise for a movie. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And it's got the George R. R. Martin name, even if not his uh level of success that he'd later get with the song Vice sure. and Fire. So I just thought, look, I you asked me last time who would I recommend it to? If you're out there and you like a an author named George R. R. Martin, you you okay. may have read his work, <laughs> and you've thought, hey, you know, I've never read anything that this guy has written from start to end yet. <laughs> I mean, like tell, told a complete story, then you might be interested in Fever Dream you by know, George Marsh, R. R. Martin. I might actually be in that boat. Heyo. Heyo. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean it's it's a really amazing tale and talk about incredible endings. This one is truly incredible and has wow. really given me faith as we've talked about that if uh when we do get the end to a song of ice and fire, uh 
it will hit all the marks that uh, many people feel the show didn't quite earn. But right, I think the, so, the books will will get that. And no, that sounds super interesting. I definitely got to read it. You know, another thing I love in a character is you know when they have an obsession with something. You know, like they have a like a active hobby, and that's the thing that they do. So this idea of a person that's just his world is steamboats and he loves steamboats and his goal uh-huh. is to drive a steamboat it's like i'm all on board for that like their interest in something kind of can drive their motivations and their character and it doesn't have to be this like epic like good versus evil thing it can be brought down to a smaller scale and be just as interesting and and even feel more complete and real for sure I mean, so Abner at the start of the book is like a down-on-his-luck steamboat captain who'd just run into, I think his last ship had been destroyed in a storm or something like that, right? Like he's, so right. he, he has the abilities to be a steamboat captain, but, you know, he's never been anything close to having being the captain of the most magnificent steamboat on the river. <laughs> but he's been As far eyeing as steamboat up. captain and goals go, that's the... <laughs> That's oh, the big yeah. one. And dude, there <laughs> I just can't believe how much George R. R. Martin made me someone who doesn't care about <laughs> steamboats at all. You like root just for the guy wa- being like, oh. wow, the biggest steamboat. <laughs> like that's a huge Oh, steamboat. I wanted it so badly. <laughs> you know, awesome. there were two there were two marshes <laughs> <laughs> that really, really badly wanted Abner to have the <laughs> best steamboat on the mississippi marshes um, gotta I, stick together us marshes gotta stick together and i think that i don't know that's what's so incredible about george's character writing is how he can really just make you feel the motivations of his characters as if they were your own that's awesome well i definitely am going to check that out at some point in the future that one definitely speaks to me um my last series, now, this may be considered a controversial pick because it's not a book. Whoa. It's a television series. You know, Charles, you always play fast and loose with our... <laughs> with our I'm always coming in hot with these uh, like very rigid interpretations of the rules of our episode, and you just play fast and loose. Well, it's not that I play fast and loose. I'm trying to answer the greater question here, which is what would I recommend that's underrated? And I was having a hard time picking a third book. I was even texting you like, dude, I have two trying to find this third one. And I didn't want to recommend like some mediocre book that I read that isn't popular. So I was like, here is a series that I feel very strongly about that I'm the only one in my peer group that I talk to that has ever seen it. And I've recommended it to everyone, and no one's watched it. Um, <laughs> have you recommended it to me already? Yes, I have. And you have not oh, seen no. it. And I've recommended it to a few other people. And I don't blame you for it, you know? And I think a lot of reason why this I would consider this underrated is just because of how like niche it is. And it may be a niche that doesn't really exist. But this recommendation is The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, the Netflix oh. original series. Now, to call it underrated, I mean, I'm I'm considering it underrated because no one's talking about it. It made, like, no cultural impact whatsoever. And 
no one I know has seen it. And it's really good. So for me, it's underrated. If it was up to me, people will, will have talked about it and it would have already been announced for season two and it would already be filming and everything. But The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is a high fantasy epic that builds on a cult classic movie from 1982 called The Dark Crystal. And I'm sure a lot of people know The Dark Crystal. It's a Jim Henson, like, it's puppetry that tells a high fantasy story. Um, and the thing is, I'm not, like, a fan of the original movie. Like, I watched it. It's fine. But it has a cult following. Like, it's got... I mean, at the time it came out, the movie was not a success. And, like, you know, no one really was into it. And I think it was because it was a weird combination of, like, puppets, which is, like... Dude, I'm not a puppet guy. I want to watch a puppet movie. And it being, <laughs> like, too dark for kids. So it was, like, too dark for kids while also being a puppet movie. At the same time, it just didn't find its audience. But it did find a very healthy cult following. And... Netflix decided to sink uh well, it must have been an insane amount of money to make this because it is amazing practical effects. I mean, it it has an A-list voice acting cast and that creates this fully realized enrapturing fantasy world. I mean, I don't I'm not a puppet guy, but I saw this and to see it in like 4K it's amazing. I I, I love practical effects, you know, a lot of Lord of the Rings elements had practical effects and years of production that went into like making chainmail armor by hand and stuff you you see a lot of that in this series where tons of artisans like the best in the craft come together to create a whole world from scratch and it's all very tangible and there's something about seeing a tangible puppet creature versus cgi that makes it so much more engaging and so much more interesting and impactful um, the plot is surprisingly intricate, and it relies on a pretty large and diverse cast of characters. Uh, even though it is puppets, it's not a kid's show. It has dark tones, it has action, it has death. Like, in the... People die, like, and, and get tortured. Like, in the end of the second episode, there's this worm that... Like, they put a cage over this guy's face and put a worm in it, and it eats his eye. And cool. it's like really intense so and like that stuff happened and like you know characters are getting murdered and killed and and so it's it's serious you know it's got dark tones in it um and even without the plot and the characters the visuals alone are captivating and it's what makes this series worth the watch like it's a very rarely am i watching a show and i'm like oh i'm watching a work of art right now and that's what i feel when i watched that i kind of felt the same way when i watched like into the Spider-Verse, where you're watching it and you're like, okay, this is a piece of art that I'm watching. I love Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, so I, I mean, Spider-Verse is amazing and certainly not underrated. Uh, but this is that kind of same level of pro of like production and art went into it, just in a totally different medium, totally different uh, presentation. But it, it gives me that same kind of like, wow. So many masters and various crafts came together to make this captivating series and... Yet the show's made no cultural impact. I've told you to see it. I've told other friends that I've had very long dialogues about like Game of Thrones and stuff. I'm like, hey, have you seen this? And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, why not? You should. It's good. And I've rec every single person I've ever recommended it to has brushed it off. So. <laughs>
every single including me including you and i get it because it's it's i don't want to be the guy that's pitching the puppet series (laughs) but it's good man it's good and it's um on the air as the guy pitching the puppet series now though. and now i'm the guy i'm telling you if you're interested in high fantasy specifically high fantasy and you can appreciate like television as an art medium and then and you're open-minded about puppets you don't have to like puppets <laughs> Charles, the more the more you say i'm not a puppet guy the more i feel like you are a puppet guy you know the puppet museum is here in atlanta i is found that out move there yeah well you know you know i was googling the series and they have like a huge jim henson exhibit here in atlanta and it was it was um a big part of it was the series because it had just released but they're in talks about doing i think there's like a non-committed verbal agreement that there's going to be a season two at some point but um nothing in writing so we'll see but i would love to see it and uh no big fan of the show and i would recommend it to anyone looking for entertaining fantasy television mm. well that's probably most of our <laughs> listener base i assume i but i mean look if you watch the first episode and you're not into it then just don't keep don't watch anymore but i have a feeling that you know the the voice the cast is amazing i mean it starts with a voiceover from sigourney weaver what more do you and it's got mark hamill in it it has um oh i was amazed i googled it while you're espousing about the great merits and, and i don't mean that sarcastically i actually think you did an awesome job uh just giving uh and if you have a 4k tv definitely watch it if you have a 4k television i mean there's i mean star-studded cast taron egerton completely star-studded mark hamill it's got lucius malfoy in it and he does a great job it's uh i hope i don't butcher her name but natalie emmanuel who was in uh song or (laughs) She wasn't in A Song of Ice and Fire, <laughs> but she was Masande. <laughs> yes, she was Masande. Yeah. And they all do Game a terrific Thrones, job. So. Like the voice cast, the the voiceover artists are top notch. It's got I the Shaun of the Dead guy in it. He does a great job as the Chamberlain. Um, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker is the scientist. It's like really cool. Uh, it's amazing they got all these people. Charles- dude, Netflix must have spent an insane amount of money to do this it looks incredibly expensive (laughs) which is why i think these series where netflix decides to drop them a lot of money in a niche art piece i feel like people should be watching and supporting that because it's it feels different than watching and like a more generic netflix series or they're like a reality show or something it's like they spent the time to put a lot of work into a craft like we should be supporting that so i'm always a huge proponent of anything that i can tell had like a vision and a artistic approach to it. So, huh? Dark I Crystal feel bad Age saying of this because you have been doing such a good job of pitching and explaining the show, but I, I can't help myself. The puppets kind of freak me out. And like not puppets <laughs> they are in general, freaky. Even. They are like freaky. these puppets. As I Google this and look at the Google images of the puppets, they are freaky looking. Yeah, some of them are pretty freaky. I don't know. I kind of, I legitimately was like, okay, I got to watch this. 
And then I was looking at the puppets. And I was like, could I look at them for like? You're probably talking about the Skeksis. <laughs> yeah, I, it pulls you in. It does. But I mean, if if you can't get over it after a full, after that full first episode, then it's not gonna happen. But it's not a That's big fair. deal, man. Like if you can watch an animated show, you can watch a puppet show. I mean, it's not. It's not even the fact that it's a puppet show. It's that these specific puppets <laughs> are freaky. It, it, I think a lot of what made They're the well original made, movie obviously. a cult following was how bizarre the puppets were. Because this was Jim Henson. He made all the Muppets. And then all of a sudden, he made this huge departure to do this like creepy stuff in this weird movie that's not really for kids. Like He did Kermit the Frog. And so to go from Kermit the Frog to this was like... A really unusual move. And I saw the first movie. I'm not crazy about it, honestly. It's very much like an 80s fantasy story, you know, kind of not super exciting or or bold in any way. But the puppets were cool in that. But I wouldn't recommend that movie. But I would recommend the series because the series just brings that modern technology and behind it. That big Netflix budget behind it that makes it uh, really cool. So. Well, uh, you know, Charles, I'll try to give it that one episode, and uh, and if I don't stick with it, it'll almost definitely be because I'm so creeped out by the way these puppets. Like, I mean, they do eyes. try and creep you out at moments. It's just like their facial structure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a very diverse cast of puppets, all kinds of different races and things. So... There's yeah. podlings, there's gelflings, there's skexies, mystics. It's uh, pretty wild stuff. Well, on on the note of Charles making it clear that he is in fact a puppet guy. <laughs> there's even a scene where uh, one of the puppets does a puppet show. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, how? Who would even think of that? <laughs> oh, all right, I I know not to get Charles started on puppets. Don't get me started. Like, <laughs> once you get him going with puppets, it's... Uh, the great it's thing just... about puppets is they're not people, but they do stuff that looks like people, you know? <laughs> they move like people do. <laughs> I love That's it. what makes puppets so cool. <laughs> you know, the two... Two of the... I just realized this. Two of the series I recommended involve ships. Maybe I'm the ship guy. Dude, you are the ship You're like guy. A steamboat and a ship. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you should read more ship stories. I guess I really like ship stories. <laughs> so, okay, contact us at theftfpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet what at a us. Great at... episode. We learned something about ourselves. We learned a throughout lot this episode about ourselves. Well, a Contact lot of moments with of puppet and book and uh, ship recommendations. You know, there are no fantasy books, of, you know, that go deep into the puppeteering uh, world. You know, find us a book with puppets on ships, and Charles and I will read that. Uh, oh yeah, where the protagonist is like a uh, uh, theater troupe person that does puppet shows, and he's on a ship, you know, traveling somewhere and then adventure happens and now you got a puppeteer on a ship on an adventure that would be cool <laughs> all right I think we're coming well, up with a book idea are we, yeah are we writing this <laughs> yeah. 
to, to let you in behind the curtain. Uh, hey, this book might have been Charles published and, by now. Is, Who knows? Yeah, yeah, our puppet shit book. Uh, Charles and I did have a discussion after an episode at one point where we're up till what time was it on the East Coast, Charles? When too late? You remember the one we talked? Two a.m. Up till two a.m. on the East Coast, where we <laughs> were discussing just like this book that neither one of us will ever write. Uh, <laughs> I assume that's probably to say we were like outlining this book that we had an idea for actually a series. It was a trilogy that actually I thought, yeah. you know, it could be, it has I legs, like our ideas. It has legs, but we're just up till 2am and literally going back and forth where Charles would say something. I'd be like, if we're going to drive home the theme <laughs> with this ending, we're going to have to be willing to like kill this character. Blah, blah. Like it's uh yeah, we were we were all in on that. So next we week were. we might we might outline as our our puppet ship book. I I, I think we call it that the puppet ship, and <laughs> I think that would fly off the shelves. A ship of puppets. You need to do <laughs> ship of puppets or the ship of puppets. Yeah, or something like that. You need to have the noun of nouns. Oh, for sure. It's like a yeah <laughs> a mad lib. Otherwise, it's not going to sell. It needs to be the blank of blank. Otherwise, yeah. no one will know it's a fantasy book. Yeah, for sure. Maybe throw like a raven or a crow in the mix. Yeah, you know, just have the cover be like a shield or a dude holding a sword or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a puppet holding a sword. <laughs> it's like a little, it's a little puppet hand with a wooden sword sticking out of it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there's a ship in the background. <laughs> Who's really the one pulling the strings? You know, that can be like the that's the tag tagline. Tag <laughs> 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 so, yeah, you can you you listeners here, you heard it first. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, another day, another exciting episode of the Friends. Talking Fantasy Podcast. I'm going to play us out. Thank you all so much for coming in, giving us a listen today. We hope maybe you give one of these series a try. You know, they're underrated. They deserve your attention. For sure. So if any of them seems kind of interesting, check them out. And let us know what you thought. Email us at thefdfpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet sure. at us or follow us at thefdfpodcast one. That's Digit One yes. <laughs> uh, on Twitter. And then everywhere else, we're the FDF Podcast. Instagram, we're, <laughs> we're all about Insta these days. Uh, Facebook. We're on YouTube. Maybe we'll even have a Discord by this point. Who knows? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? <sighs> well, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for finding us, talking to us, and for listening and as always go forth and conquer friends